baseball fans. Thanks for joining on the second week of the Soto Mojo podcast. I'm here with Colby Patnode and Riley Baker. Say hey, guys. Hey. Hey. So uh, we're here uh, after a full week and a half of baseball. Obviously, today was the first week, uh, first day of Mariners baseball on television, which is a happy uh, welcome back after listening on the radio. Unfortunately, the Mariners lost both their games today in split squad matches uh, to the Dodgers and Athletics, respectively. But there were some good signs, uh, signs that we saw from earlier in the season, especially uh, against the Padres in their first two games. But they didn't get enough runs to muster some wins. Uh, And part of that leads into our new segment of interesting stat of the week. So, as you guys know, the Mariners scored 13 runs in both their games versus the Padres, but they could have scored a ton more, Uh, not just against them, but against the Brewers, the Indians, and the Royals. In each of those games, the Mariners had 24 or more runners left on base. So, guys, tell me, if the Mariners are scoring 13 runs, and then they're scoring seven and eight and winning ball games, but they're also leaving so many runners on base, a couple dozen. What does that say for you about this offense? Uh, it says to me that uh, they're getting runners on base to leave on. Um, you know, if you're scoring 13 runs, you're probably hitting a lot of doubles and triples and, you know, all that type of stuff. So it's not that big of a deal to me right now um, because they're scoring runs. If they were putting up two runs and leaving 13 on base, then that's a big problem. But for now, I mean, they're scoring runs, and the guys they're leaving on base have probably already driven in a few runs. So it's not a big deal to me right now. Yeah, I agree. It just shows that people are getting on base. And if you're scoring runs, it's not that huge, that big of a deal. So what do you guys feel is maybe the issue in the last couple of games? So, you know, you score 26 in your first two, and then I said, as I said, you score eight and then seven, but in the last couple games, you haven't scored more than six. So is this uh, early fatigue that's happening, or is it um, is there something else behind these lower run games? Uh, it could be fatigue. It could also just be you know a return to uh, a regression back to the mean. I mean, I don't think anybody expects the Mariners' offense to average eight runs a game, but uh, you know, and also pitchers are start you know as the spring training goes along games typically get a little bit lower scoring because the pitchers are getting better and you're seeing less of the, you know, the single A call-up guys. But, uh, yeah, you know, it could just be fatigue. It could just be a regression to the norm. Yeah, I think it has to do with the pitching as well. You know, the pitchers are getting warmed up. They're using different pitches. They're working pitch counts differently, not so much just working on things, more of going after hitters and attacking them. And speaking of pitching, I mean, obviously, you know, DePoto with his uh, OCD uh, couldn't uh, couldn't leave the squad how it is, so he had to go out and uh, pick up another player. So, what do you guys feel about the trade that he made? Um, well, uh, first thing we should learn his name. His name is pronounced Chase D. Young. It's not Dejong or anything. It's D. Young. That's how he likes it pronounced. Um, as for the player himself, I mean, he's another pitcher that you throw on the pile. Uh, he'll probably start the year in AAA. Uh, fastball is okay, but he's got a really nice curveball. He pitched in today's game, the televised game. Maybe some of you guys saw it, but uh, curveball's nice. You know, he's an interesting player, but uh, 
you know, it's it's not something that's going to help the Mariners right now, but it's probably going to come back and uh, help the Mariners later in the year. Yeah, I like the pickup. You know, it's always good to have good pitching depth. And, yeah, he did pitch today through a couple innings, allowed three hits. So we'll see. Yeah, it seemed like he, along with um, Vieira, is that Colby, you're good on the pronunciation. Is that right, Tiago Vieira? That's how I've been pronouncing it. But I'm, All I'm, right, awesome. I'm not the big Vieira fan. But, uh... <laughs> uh, but we saw that with him and also Felix Hernandez early who struggled mm-hmm. with command. So, you know, like we were saying before, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, even though DeYoung, uh, he pitched well, as you said, you know, to blow the save and to give up a couple hits. I mean, it's all about adjusting. Uh, you know, it was important to see Felix Hernandez out on the mound today in his last start uh, before he heads off to the WBC. So what do you guys feel about his performance today? Uh, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, you know, the first inning, it was it was pretty bad. Uh, not bad. It was, you know, it was just okay. Um, you know, I even noted, I even took to Twitter and I asked if he threw a single changeup in the first inning because it seemed like it was just fastball and curveball. Um, the fa- the curveball was really nice today, and it got better as the game went along. The fastball was, I mean, there's no radar gun on the TV, but it sa- but based on what I'm reading, it sounds like it was about 91, 92. That's good. Um, so overall, I'd say that's a positive start. Um, you know, and if Felix struggles, you want it to be in the first inning so he can make his adjustments and uh, improve, and that's definitely what he did. So I, I would give it like a, a B, B-plus type of grade. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, he's never really been too great in spring training necessarily statistic-wise. His career spring training ERA is like a 4-5 compared to his uh, regular season career, like a 3.16, so... It's not a huge concern, but we'll see how he continues to progress as the spring continues and then going on to the World Baseball Classic. So then, aside from Felix and uh, Vieira and uh, De Jong, um, who else do you guys see is really exceeding expectations in this spring? And maybe also, who's letting down so far? I know that you both feel and it's strongly considered the case that maybe spring performances aren't the uh, end-all, be-all, but who's uh, who's holding their weight and who's not? Uh, well, you talk about holding your weight. Uh, that's a perfect segue. Daniel Vogelbach, or Vogelbach is certainly holding his weight. Uh, he's, uh, he's hitting well. Um, I got to see him today for the first time. I really liked his approach. Um, he had some good at-bats. And obviously, Guillermo Heredia is trying to... Uh, clinch that number four outfield spot and he looks really good so I mean those are kind of the two guys that jump out as you know positive performers on the negative side I mean it's I don't want to get too down on anybody um I'd like to see a little more from Ben Gamble but uh you know I, when you're comparing him to what Guillermo Heredia is doing right now it's I mean it's tough to beat that so those are a couple guys that I'm looking at early and Riley, you know, you uh, you just had your piece today about Guillermo, so you obviously love his performance too. I do. I really like his skill set, especially moving forward into the future. But for this year, you know, if he can steal some bags, um, make contact, see the ball well like he has so far this spring, I think that'll be a 
very solid fourth outfield, fourth outfielder that we got. Yeah, it's always uh, it's always nice if you're a player and you have more stolen bases than you do strikeouts. So for Heredia, that's uh, quite the welcome sign. Plus, he's got seven doubles, so or six, five doubles, sorry, and seven RBIs. So that's uh, definitely not a bad spring at all. No, it's always nice to have multiple guys who can play center field, too. And, I mean, Heredia, I don't know if he's a great center fielder, but he's really good in the corners. And, uh, you know, it's just it's exciting to see him hit and uh, and play well. Yeah, he's certainly competent in center field. So we yeah. potentially have center fielders on the roster, which is pretty dynamic for a team to have. And then you mentioned playing all other aspects of the field. So... You know, how do you guys think of Sean O'Malley's performance so far? Uh, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a huge uh, Sean O'Malley guy. I don't dislike him, but I know he's a kind of a fan favorite because he uh, he grew up two hours away from Seattle in the Tri Cities, which is about an hour away from me. Um, I think he's, I think he's a really good number twenty-five guy on your roster. He can kind of play everywhere in little spurts and he can come off the bench and he can, uh, he can steal you a bag and he can bunt. So, I mean, today he had a nice RBI with a guy on third and, uh, he's just a nice player. He can do a lot of things. So, so far so good. I think he's definitely has the, uh, the lead in the, uh, utility battle, utility mm -hmm. player. battle. Yeah. Versatility is huge. He's kind of like a Willie Bloomquist type player. Um, fan, yeah, definitely fan favorite, like you said. He's just fun to watch. He's got speed. He's got solid defense. He's just—he's not going to wow you, but he's—he's he's a solid player. And of course, now with um, Gene Segura off to the World Baseball Classic, we should—we could see a lot more of Sean O'Malley uh, in spring training. That was probably going to happen anyway, with uh, twelve of the Mariners going off to uh, to WBC anyway, but. Um, with the WBC coming up, who do you guys think is going to uh, get a lot of a lot more playing time and be able to kind of show off what they can do? Um, well, definitely uh, O'Malley, like you said. Also, Taylor Motter. Uh, he's battling for that utility spot, so you'll probably see them at second and shortstop a lot. Uh, Mike Freeman uh, came back on waivers. Uh, he cleared waivers. He's back with the club. Um, you'll get to see him a lot. I'm guessing you'll probably see a little bit of Boog Powell out in the outfield, but uh, definitely Gamble, Heredia, and Powell will get a majority of the time in in the outfield. And, uh, you know, a couple of the young pitchers. I'm excited to see Posey and uh, and Andrew Moore and guys like that. So, uh, you know, mostly the double-A AA and triple-A prospects is what I'm looking for. Yeah, we'll get to see a lot of our organizational depth for sure, so that'll be good to see. Um, yeah, I want to see some more Freeman. I liked him last year. You know, he's another one of those, those guys like O'Malley where he's pretty versatile. Not not going to be anything too phenomenal in the big leagues, but he can play around and fill in some places. And yeah, more Heredia. I'll be looking forward to seeing that. So do you guys plan on... Uh watching the uh, WBC more or are you guys going to be following spring training uh you know I would love to watch the WBC um unfortunately I don't get the MLB network it's not offered to me so basically if I can find a stream I'll watch there but uh 
you know, it's really it really is unfortunate that the WBC is only on the MLB network. It just, I mean, it doesn't feel like you're if you're trying to grow the game. Why are you limiting yourself to your own network? I can't imagine that Fox or any of those uh, TNT or any of those type of programs or stations don't want this type of programming. So it's disappointing. So for me, I get root sports, so I'll be watching spring training mostly. Yeah, I'll be watching some spring training too. I won't. I also don't get that um, MLB Network. So yeah, just spring for me. I'll definitely be following it online though. Yeah. So then, when it comes to the WBC, I mean, what are you guys? Who are you looking most? Who are you looking forward to be watching the most this uh, this WBC? Uh, Segura, Cano, and uh, Cruz on the Dominican Republic. Uh, that's a pretty loaded lineup. Um, I like what they have. Um, and then I'm just hoping that Gallardo and Felix don't get hurt. That's pretty much what I'm looking for. Yeah, definitely. You don't want to see any pitchers get hurt, but yeah, I'll definitely be watching Segura. I just, you know, I've seen him, but I'll, I'll definitely be keeping a closer eye on him now that he's with the Mariners. He's definitely fun to watch and it'll be cool seeing all those, all three of those guys kind of meshing together on the same team. It definitely helps build chemistry. That's for sure. But uh, when it comes to wins, do you think that the addition of Segura on top of the roster as a whole, but especially with Cruz and Cano, that that kind of puts the DR as one of the uh, one of the favorites, if not the favorite? I mean, they were already poised to do very well, but do you think the addition of Segura really puts them over the top? Uh, it certainly helps. It gives them a guy who can run. Um, Hanley's a nice player, but Hanley Ramirez isn't going to steal you a base when you really need it. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think it's going to come down to pitching like it is for all these teams, but the Dominican Republic has, you know, arguably the best lineup. And, yeah, I think it did get a little bit better with Segura. So um, they're my favorite going into the tournament. But, uh, you know, they're, the, they're, the, uh, they're the defending champions too. So I like the addition of Segura. I think it gives them a nice little edge. Yeah, I, I agree with Colby. I think the Dominican Republic has to be the favorite going into it. They're they're really the powerhouse, you know. Um, Segura is definitely an improvement, I think, just because he has a more versatile skill set compared to Hanley, who uh, has to sit out. And then, Riley, you had mentioned uh, pitching before. So then when you have these young guys, I mean, there's obviously a, a lot of young guys, as you said, the organizational depth is going to be uh, showing off at spring training, but then you've got young guys like Sebastian Valle and uh, Emilio Pagan and even Edwin Diaz in the WBC. So how do you think that being on a bigger stage as opposed to spring training is going to help them progress as players? And um, what do you think it's going to, uh, how do you think it's going to affect their play? Oh, that's interesting. I think, just the competition is always good compared to spring. Um, I think it's more beneficial progressive progression wise for them to see more competition, but then, yeah, it's just, it's hard cause you don't want to see anyone get injured in for what the most part, it's just exhibition play um, for us. Anyways, it's different for them playing for their country, but you really just want to see them get help, stay healthy and not get hurt. Um, like, like I said, I'll be keeping an eye on the Mariners players, seeing how they do, but I don't know. We'll see how they do. 
Yeah. What the, about you? Uh, sorry. <laughs> the uh, yeah. Uh, you know, most I'm. I think that probably benefits Edwin Diaz the most. Um, Diaz, it seems like he's going to be the closer. Uh, they really wanted to be all year the guy, and uh, you know, when you're pitching for your country on a big stage in a in the biggest you know international tournament baseball has right now doesn't get a lot more pressure packed than that. So I'll be interested to see how he handles that. Um, handled it pretty well last year, but, uh, you know, we'll see if he, uh, if he can continue that streak in the WBC. And the good thing about, you know, uh, I mean, last year he came in, uh, halfway through the year, so he didn't pitch a full season. So if, even if he starts to get a little tired, uh, come June and July, you know, by that time, Steve Ciszek will be back from injury, so, you know, even if we need C-Sheck to come back in and uh, do some closing work while uh, Diaz is recovering from too many innings pitched uh, or just needing a little rest, I mean, that'll be important too. Yeah, um, you know, you also have Dan Altavilla. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's great He's great uh, depth there. He can close. You know, Scribner looked good again today. He looked good last year. Uh, you got Vieira in, in uh, probably double-A to start the year. Uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bullpen depth. Chase Simmons is a guy I really like, so um, there's a lot of depth there, and that's good. Yeah, if he starts to fatigue down down on the stretch, uh, I think Altavilla would be a good one to fill in. Um, yeah, uh, Vieira. We'll see how his control goes, but I'd like to see him progress and maybe come up late in the season. That'd be awesome. Right. With Vieira, there's always that uh, the curse that always comes with throwing the ball really, really fast. You know, it's some can do it, um, you know, and get their control down. But for him, I guess at least today, it seemed like, you know, you still got some work to do. But, you know, when you're young and uh, when you're just trying to throw your arm like crazy, uh, that's that's uh, all all too common issue that's going on. So. You know, I think that with maturity and uh, with some more practice that uh, he'll he'll get more time. So I'm right on you with there, um, uh, Riley, about where he should be. So I guess that's uh, that's everything for the baseball segment. So what we're going to do now is introduce the next segment um, for Soto Mojo, which is our intro for the uh, wacky question segment, which was... Um, thankfully part of uh, our Twitter followers. They're uh, getting involved. So uh, we're going to start out with the first wacky question that we got from Dan Clark, which is, where is your favorite place to sit inside Safeco Field? Not so much of a wacky question, but uh, it's a, uh, a question that we should um, answer for anyone who either hasn't been to Safeco Field or is planning on going. So what do you guys feel? Uh, typically I sit in the, uh, in the center field, uh, lower level section 104, I think it is. I like to sit there. Um, yeah, I sit down in the, uh, right, right around the foul pole on the foul side of right field. That's a good spot. But, uh, actually if you want really good value, uh, 300 level right behind home plate, about eight rows up, you can see everything. You can hear everything. And it's about. You know, if you want to go down to the first level and sit down there, it's 80 to 120 bucks up there in the 300 level. It's about, it cost me about 20 bucks. So that's kind of my favorite value spot is third deck uh, right behind home plate. 
typically where I like to sit is uh, right field, lower section. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also good for batting practice when the lefties are pulling homers out there. Um, but I think the best tickets you can get's got to be in the Kings Court, man. When Felix yeah. is going, it's just it's just a different feel. It's so cool. Yeah, those are those are excellent seats. Um, okay. I've never been in the pen, but I'm, I a lot of people love to go down into the pen and watch the game there. So I mean, really, is there any bad place to sit in Safeco Field though? Yeah, there really it's isn't. Like, it's like you took the words out of my mouth, Colby. I uh, my favorite place is the pen, uh, just because I'm a beer guy. I love my beer, and I love my baseball. And there's no other, there's no better combination. Plus, I have this really strong desire to catch a home run ball. I came really close once in Yankee Stadium versus the Red Sox. But uh, it was a David Ortiz home run, but I was a couple seats to the right. And uh, ever since then, I've been craving to get a ball. So, um, you know, when you see on Sports Center those guys who catch a ball and a beer, you know, I want that to be me. <laughs> wow. So our next, <laughs> our next question comes from 12th Man Rising. He asks, what are your thoughts on pineapple as a pizza topping? Disgusting. Pineapple is the worst pizza topping. I, I don't even like it when you put it with ham. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, it just, the pineapple juice, it just kind of seeps into the, into the tomato sauce and into the crust, and it just ruins it for me. I like pineapple. I like pizza. I hate them together. It's, it's, it ruins any pizza that I've ever had. So I am very much anti-pineapple uh, as a pizza topping. Wow. I am quite the opposite. <laughs> Hawaiian, Hawaiian pizza is my favorite type of pizza. I love the, I love the juice. It makes it sweet. Ugh. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't like sweet pizza, I guess, but we truly are a divided nation. How about that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, but uh, it's it's always a mixed response. I'm with Riley here. I think that a Hawaiian pizza is delicious, whether it's ham, whether it's pineapple. Uh, you know, you got sweet and savory. Uh, you know, it's uh, quite the combination. Yeah, but you're a Canadian. Does that even count? I mean, uh, I live in Canada. I'm actually from New York. New York. So I am, well, and we love what? our pizza. Yeah, I'm sure you do, but you're a Canuck right now, so you're a Canadian. Your taste buds are ruined. Yeah, actually, it's a shame. Canada has pretty awful pizza. Does it really? Um, yeah, uh, there's. I would say that Domino's is better than most of the pizza chains that are out here. Oh no. Yeah. So, yeah. What's What's everybody's favorite pizza topping then? Is it the pineapple? Yeah, yeah. Canadian bacon and pineapple is my favorite. <laughs> wow. I'm on an island by myself. Uh, yeah. I'm a big fan. I guess of... for you, Adam, it's just bacon. Just bacon and pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a big uh, meat lovers fan myself, so give me sausage, give me pepperoni, give me the bacon. Let's go. Now, yeah, that's can't go wrong with that either. I'll give you that. Yeah, I would say regular bacon, too. Canadian bacon is, uh, I mean, it's just a thicker cut, you know. Kind of like a, a hamish thing. It's uh, doesn't really qualify as real bacon. So then our next question, guys, uh, we have here. Let's see what we got here. Uh, so we have also from Twelfth Man Rising. He asked an interesting question. 
who is the ultimate Seattle coach? Is it Pete Carroll or Sweet Lou Pinella? Uh, it's Pete Carroll, and it's it's honestly it's not close. Um, I'm a fan of both the Mariners and the Seahawks, and I'm a big Lou Pinella fan. But Pete Carroll has a championship. Lou Pinella doesn't. And Lou Pinella had a, from 96 to 98, that three-year stretch, he had Edgar Martinez, Ken Griffey Jr., Randy Johnson, Alex Rodriguez, and Jay Buhner all in their prime. He made the playoffs once in that little era. Um, I'm not trying to dump on Lou Pinella. He's excellent. Uh, he's easily the best manager in Mariners history. In fact, he's the only one that's gotten them to the playoffs. But uh, you know what? Pete Carroll, he, picks, he has a huge hand in picking the players. He's, you know, he coaches them up and he has a championship, and that's what it comes down to. Lupinella won a World Series, we would be having a different conversation, but Pete Carroll's won a Super Bowl, he's still doing it. And so for that reason, it's Pete Carroll over Lupinella. And it depends yeah. if you want to no, go ahead, Riley. Oh, yeah, the championship puts him over the top for me, too. I don't think, I think it's closer than Colby says, just because. Lou Pinnell was such a fan favorite with the fits he would throw, the fire he would show on the field. I, th I think it's pretty close, but Pete Carroll takes the cake. Yeah, when it comes to Pinella, you know, when you think of, um, obviously, the slogan, true to the blue, I mean, the way that Pinella kind of, uh, his anger and his emotion kind of embodies what it means to, you know, have your colors run through your blood. So it's always good to see that. Yeah, but... Uh, I, don't know, I will give Lou Pinella credit is that there was a that he had to build a culture uh, before he got here the Seattle Mariners had one winning season um, you know Pete Carroll won the first Super Bowl in Seattle but at least there was some tradition of winning under the Mike Holmgren era so I mean in that case it's you know I, I don't want to come off as the anti Lou Pinella guy because I feel like I'm already coming off as the pro Alex Rodriguez guy and the anti-Griffey guy with some of the articles I've written. But, uh, you know, he, he built something from nothing that's good. Pete Carroll had a little bit of a foundation, at least built in. Um, so I, like, I, still think it's, I still think it's Pete Carroll. But, uh, you know, Lupinell deserves immense credit for what he did for the city and the franchise. Yeah, for me, it's that I, I can't separate Pete Carroll from what he did outside of Seattle. So, you know, I think of what he did at USC and how successful he was there. You know, to me, even if we're talking about Seattle coaches, you know, you can't forget about what he's done elsewhere. And he was just so successful. And then for me, also, when you are that successful on two levels, basically two entirely different styles of play and the way the games work to win in college and in the pros is just is unbelievable to me. I kind of, I do I think I do separate them just because if you're going by favorite Seattle manager, I think you got to separate it to their time in Seattle. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. No, that's fair. All right, guys. Well, that was uh, our wacky questions for this week. So um, tune in next week. We're gonna go over which um, in in honor of March Madness, we're having a favorite Mariners bracket, and it's. Uh, Colby pointed out, you know, he's already catching some flack over Alex Rodriguez um, being number six. Uh, so what it is, is is a favorite Mariners bracket, and that will be decided by you on social media. That will be both on Twitter at SotomojoFS 
and also on our Facebook page, Soda Mojo FS. So you can vote on both of those sites, and uh, we're going to be starting as soon as March Madness begins. So get ready for that. Uh, get excited for the World Baseball Classic, and obviously the rest is spring training. There's going to be a lot of Mariners playing in both, so you'll get a good taste of uh, some more competitive action and then some youth coming up in spring training. It's an exciting time for Mariners baseball. We're getting closer and closer to opening day. So do you guys have any final thoughts before we sign off? Um, no, you know, just uh, Andrew Moore looks really good. So I just want to throw that out there. We didn't get to talk about him today, but he looks really good, and uh, Mariners fans should be excited about that. Yeah, he did. Uh, he went uh, two innings, and that was great, and uh, he's looking really good so far. Uh, now that you brought him up, I mean, you had him as uh, your number nine prospect, so uh, you must be happy with how he's performing so far, especially today. Uh, yeah, number nine before the Drew Jackson trade. I, I think I might be too low on him. Um, you know, this is the first time I've actually gotten to see him pitch. Um, everything else, I'm reading scouting reports and all that stuff, but I mean, he did, he knows how to pitch, and that that's such a cliche. And I don't like baseball cliches, but he throws a ton of strikes. He doesn't have the best stuff, but he goes out there, he competes, he throws strikes, he gets ground balls. Um, you know, I'm I'm probably too low on Andrew Moore in my off-season rankings, and I have a buddy who loves to tell me that he's a huge Andrew Moore fan. But uh, so, you know, if I if and when I redo the ranks there, he'll probably be top five, I would think. Uh, he's right there, either five or six. Now that I've gotten to see him play a little bit. Awesome. Well, Riley, Colby, it's always good to talk with you, and uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, so have a good week and enjoy Mariners uh, baseball, guys. All right, go ahead. Thanks. See ya.